Welcome to LilyPod episode 32. Dating is like gardening. Jeff and Kathy Teichert bringing you another episode of LilyPod, which is a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches and members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid-singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. Our ward has a garden this year. All summer, we got emails about when to show up and help with planting and weeding. In September, I finally showed up to harvest tomatoes, squash, cucumbers, celery, carrots, potatoes, and eggplant. Mm, it's so good. It is. We have been enjoying it. And there was a, couple, a sweet couple in our ward who tended the garden all summer, and they were so kind and helpful and generous with me swooping in to reap what they had sowed. Um, I'm not lazy or unwilling to help. I simply have been working on other big projects like creating a big violin celebration concert for the Suzuki Association of Utah, and producing our book, Intentional Courtship for Love in Later Years. These have both taken over a year to get ready for, and both will be complete and ready this fall in just a few short weeks. Right, and we're excited to get that book out to you guys. Yes, we just got our third, uh, I just want to <laughs> just insert this. We got our third proof and we were hoping it would be final. Uh, and, you know, like the three times the charm, like our marriages. <laughs> and we got our wish. It's going to be, we're going to set a launch date real soon um, because we have now have a proof that we are really feel really good about. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, soon uh, people will swoop in and enjoy the fruits of my labors and I want them to. Um, from this, I was reminded that in life, we take turns serving and giving as well as receiving and enjoying, and it's all good stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I think uh, this reminds me a little bit of the law of the harvest. And in Galatians 6, verse 7, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And then in verse 9 it says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And I think if we apply this to dating, because that's the subject here is dating is like gardening, um, we begin by sowing. And... I think a lot of people misunderstand the law of the harvest. We often hear the law of the harvest spoken of sort of as you get out of it what you put into it. And while that is true in a sense, we don't always know the volume, the quantity, and so forth of that harvest. There are many things that can happen uh, to a crop, for example. Uh, you can have a flood, you can have a fire, you could have a weed or a pest infestation, you could have some kind of blight, uh, you could have all kinds of different disasters that could, you know, drought, 
that deprives your plants of water. All kinds of things can happen to get in the way of your best laid plans. And so I don't literally think this means you get out of it what you put into it, at least in proportion. I think the way in which it is true is, as Jesus said in Matthew 7.15, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Well, of course not. If you plant grapes, you're not, <clears throat> or if you, if you uh, plant thorns, you're not going to get grapes. If you plant thistles, you're not going to get figs. Uh, if you plant tomatoes, you're not going to get corn or, you know, crabgrass or something else like that. So, so what you plant is what you're going to get, but you aren't guaranteed the, uh, the amount or the volume of that harvest. Now it says, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And I want to make a little analogy to corn. Um, one ear of corn has about 800 kernels. Uh, so uh, an average ear of corn has around, or an average corn stalk has two ears, so around 1,600 kernels. And that seems like a lot to come from one kernel. You can grow that many. Now, many things are going to happen or could happen to prevent that corn crop from being as abundant as it might be. But in due season, you will reap if you don't stop sowing. And, you know, it, I married Kathy when I was 50. And to me, that was an abundant harvest. But it took me five decades to find her and to begin the relationship that we, that we have. And so uh, if you're discouraged because things keep happening to, um, you know, things get in the way of relationships you may have had great hope in and so forth, don't stop sowing. Keep sowing uh, the seeds of, of a relationship. Oh, I love that. That's such a great, a great analogy in this dating is like gardening. Uh, you know, I want to actually go back to uh, this garden that we had with our ward family. And as I was searching for tomatoes amongst the tall, thick green vines and branches, I had this thought. Looking for the red, juicy, delicious stuff among all the green is quite a search. Much how I remember dating being when I was looking for Jeff. As I continued on to other garden veggies, I noticed the variety of effort that it took to harvest. For, for example, eggplants were hanging right in plain sight. All that was needed were some shears and a quick snip, and it was mine. This reminded me of how my first and second husband came into my life. They both showed up easily and effortlessly. All I had to do was receive that gift. Now, I have a friend who recently started dating someone after adamantly telling us that she was not interested in dating. Uh, she wasn't looking, neither was he, and yet they found each other. Um, sometimes the harvesting is easy, and sometimes we really have to dig deep to either heal what needs to be healed so we're healthy for a relationship, or um, we search with diligent effort until the effort is rewarded, like Jeff was saying about 
continuing to sow until we reap the harvest. Um, now, the year before I met Jeff, quite honestly felt like I was digging for potatoes or carrots, searching for my person person with lots of effort, but with very little results for that season. Right. And in due season, she did reap. I think I'm wonderful, but. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, but it, it definitely required a lot of patience because I, I really didn't want to be patient. <laughs> right. I was used to being married and I preferred that, uh, but it was really good for me to be on my own for a while and to, to be willing to wait. I think uh, also in addition to sewing, uh, my, uh, the last marriage counselor that tried to help me and my first wife stay together uh, recommended that we read Alma 32 and replace faith with love. Um, and I, I just want to give you a flavor of this because I did do that. And the part about the experiment and the seed and all of that, behold, if you will awake and arouse your faculties, even to an experiment upon my words, and exercise a particle of love, yea, even if you can no more than desire to love, let this desire work in you. Now we will compare a relationship unto a seed. Now if ye give place that a seed may be planted in your heart, behold, if it be a true seed or a good seed, if ye do not cast it out by your fear that ye will resist, behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts. And when you feel these swelling motions, you will begin to say within yourselves, it must needs be that this is a good seed or that the relationship is good. For it beginneth to enlarge my soul. Yea, it beginneth to enlighten my life. Yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. Now behold, would not this increase your love? I say unto you, yea. And it goes on, behold, as the seed swelleth and sprouteth and beginneth to grow, then you must needs say that the seed is good. For behold, it swelleth and sprouteth and beginneth to grow. And now behold, will not this strengthen your love? Yea, it will strengthen your love. For ye will say, I know that this is a good seed. For behold, it sprouteth and beginneth to grow. And then it tells you, behold, you are sure that this is a good seed. Um, and so if the seed grows, it is good. And the only way you can know that is if you sow that seed, you nurture it, fertilize it, water it, and then you see if it swells inside you, if it, if it becomes very profound and important to you. Uh, and, and a relationship is like that too. It's, um, you know, it grows over time. It's almost like an organic living thing. Right. No matter how it starts. Right. Right. And, you know, as I pondered the the thoughts I had as I was harvesting these wonderful vegetables in our ward garden, I believe that each of us has a path to our partner and God is there to guide us to him or her. Just as our ward gardeners guided me to the veggies, they were ready for that were ready for harvesting and you know we just we just have to show up in whatever capacity is required to take that journey and i believe we're entitled to personal revelation so that we can learn uh, by being open through to the spirit how to show up 
in our love lives uh, with whatever level of effort our paths require. Yeah, I would like to actually mention something about all of the this, you know, growth that Kathy had to dig through to get tomatoes and certain vegetables and some of the things that sometimes get in our way that we view as setbacks or problems. President Hugh B. Brown, uh, who was a, a counselor to President McKay and, and a real character, gave a talk, which is my oldest stepson's favorite talk, and it is called God is the Gardener. And I'd just like to, to read a portion of that to you. Uh, this is a good story. Sixty odd years ago, I was on a farm in Canada. I had purchased the farm from another who had been somewhat careless in keeping it up. I went out one morning and found a currant bush that was at least six feet high. I knew that it was all going all to wood. There was no sign of blossom or of fruit. I had had some experience in pruning trees. And so he talks about how he clipped it and cut it down until it was all just stumps. As I looked to them, I yield to an impulse, which I often have to talk with inanimate objects and have, have them talk to me. It's a ridiculous habit. It's one I can't overcome. Like I said, President Brown was a character. As I looked at this little clump of stumps, there seemed to be a tear on each one. And I said, what's the matter, current bush? What are you crying about? And I thought I heard that current bush speak. It seemed to say, how could you do this to me? I was making such wonderful growth. I was almost as large as the fruit tree and the shade tree. And now you've cut me down and all in the garden will look upon me with contempt and pity. How could you do it? I thought you were the gardener here. I thought I heard that from the currant bush. I thought it so much that I answered. I said, look, little currant bush, I am the gardener here, and I know what I want you to be. If I let you go the way you want to go, you will never amount to anything. But someday when you are laden with fruit, you are going to think back and say, thank you, Mr. Gardener, for cutting me down, for loving me enough to hurt me. Ten years passed, and I found myself in Europe. I had made some progress in the First World War in the Canadian Army. It goes on that he was up for promotion as a general, and he uh, uh, received a telegram from London from General Turner, who was in charge of all the Canadian officers, and the telegram said, be in my office tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. So he was puffed up. He went to London and went into the office of the general. And the general said, Brown, you are entitled to this promotion, but I cannot make it. You have qualified and passed the regulations. You have the experience and you are entitled to it in every way, but I cannot make this appointment. Just then he went into the other room to answer a phone call. And I did what most every officer and man in the army would do under those circumstances. I looked over on his desk to see what my personal history sheet showed, and I saw written at the bottom of that history sheet in large capital letters, this man is a Mormon. Now, at that time, we were hated heartily in Britain, and I knew why he couldn't make the appointment. Finally, he came back and said, that's all, Brown. I saluted him less heartily than before and went out on my way uh, back to Shorncliffe, and, and he talks about bitterness raised in his heart the whole way home. He was feeling like a failure. 
He felt like he'd be called a coward by people who didn't understand. And he says, and bitterness rose in my heart until I finally arrived in my tent. I clenched my fist and I shook it at heaven and I said, how could you do this to me, God? I've done everything that I knew how to do to uphold the standards of the church. I was making such wonderful growth and now you cut me down. How could you do it? And then I heard a voice. It sounded like my own voice. And the voice said, I'm the gardener here. I know what I want you to be. If I let you go the way you want to go, you will never amount to anything. And someday when you are ripened in life, you are going to shout back across time and say, thank you, Mr. Gardener, for cutting me down, for loving me enough to hurt me. Those words, which I now recognize as my words to the current bush, had become God's words to me, drove me to my knees where I prayed for forgiveness for my arrogance and my ambition. And this is his conclusion. My young friends, brothers and sisters, will you remember that little experience that changed my whole life? Had the gardener not taken control and done for me what was best for me, or if I had gone the way I wanted to go, I would have returned to Canada as a senior commanding officer of Western Canada. I would have raised my family in a barracks. My six daughters would have had little chance to marry in the church. I myself would probably have gone down and down. I do not know what might have happened, but this I know, and this I say to you and to him in your presence, looking back over 60 years. Thank you, Mr. Gardner, for cutting me down. I felt cut down at the time I was divorced, as many of you probably did. And I shook my fist at heaven in the same way and said, you know, I did everything I thought I was supposed to. I tried to live the gospel and pay my tithing and went on a mission and, you know, what we've all said. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and yet, if he had not cut me down, I wouldn't have Kathy. I wouldn't have her two kids as my stepkids. And I have a relationship that's much fuller and more complete than I had with my previous wife. And, and so, yes, thank you, Lord, for cutting me down. If you're disappointed in love, either in a marriage or dating relationships or both, someday the chances are you are going to look back and say to the gardener, thank you, gardener, for cutting me down. And it's okay if you don't feel like doing that right now. If exactly. you're not in a place to feel grateful for the pain and anguish and frustration you're feeling, that's okay. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that lesson can can apply in a whole bunch of areas of life, but particularly in relationships, you know? Especially when we have this vision that we'll be with this person forever. Right. And then all of a sudden, what we thought we knew, we don't, we don't have that option anymore. Right. I mean, six years ago, I got, six years ago next month, actually, I got laid off from a corporate job in Houston, Texas. And a pretty low moment for me. I also got divorced for the second time shortly after that. Jeff and I and, have had uh, one long-term first marriage to the to the parent of our children, and and then a short, a very short uh, second marriage. 
Right. So we're we're on our third marriage each. Right. At that time, I I could have shook my fist at heaven and said, "Why have you cut me down again? You know, why have you allowed me to be laid off? Why have you allowed my relationship with my second wife to be so sour when I had been so hopeful about it? And yet, you know, five years later, I have um, a job that I've always dreamed about. And if I had not been laid off in Houston, I'd probably still be out there doing a job that isn't a great fit for me. It's the same thing with, you know, if I had not split up with my second wife, um, I would be struggling along in a marriage that was an uphill battle the whole way instead of with the love of my life. And so, I mean, God has a much longer view than we have. Well, and Jeff and I have talked about this, the previous relationships that we've had, the marriages that didn't work out the way we'd hoped, uh, they prepared us for a better relationship in the future because of what it taught us about ourselves and how to show up better in relationships. Right. I think it's illustrative, you know, speaking again of the metaphor of gardening, Bruce R. McConkie in his very last talk called The Purifying Power of Gethsemane talked about the three gardens of God, the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane, in the garden of the empty tomb. And of course, the garden of Eden is where the fall happened. And somewhere in our lives and relationships, we probably had a fall, a fall from grace of some sort where things, the sweetness was taken out of it in some way. We also had the bitter agony of kind of like our personal Gethsemane, which was refining and purifying as, as Kathy talked about our earlier marriages being and the garden of the empty tomb is where eternal hope was renewed because that tomb is empty. And because Jesus Christ showed us that even death can be overcome uh, through his power. And I think that's an important Um, an important thing to think about when we think about gardens and what they mean for relationships, that all that you've lost can be restored to you and more. Yeah. Well, and, and being able to maintain that hope and also be able to, and also be able to uh, maintain positive thoughts is really important. Like gardening, we can cultivate thoughts that support a bright future and maintain hope when we've experienced loss. That's right. And sometimes that takes more faith than we thought we would need. Uh, You know, we're like that current bush that got cut down and we don't see what God really has planned, the fruit that he's going to bring forth from us. Uh, You know, and sometimes we don't see it until many years later, between the time my former wife and I separated and Kathy and I got married was really like nine years. 
Yeah, it took us a while to grieve and process and grow and uh, eventually find each other and then continue to grow and prepare for what would eventually be a marriage. And, you know, and this goes back to that personal revelation that I said where I believe we're entitled to. And as we're open to the spirit, God can help us along our path to know at what level of effort we need to show up to create the kind of future that we want. Um, you know, and we really do want to be open to that because I think sometimes we just say, God, you've got to do it. I can't do it. You know, but maybe he wants us to do a little more than that. Or, you know, some of us might jump in and say, I'm going to do it all. And maybe sometimes we need to back off and let him do a little more, you know, but I, that's where personal revelation and being in tune with the spirit can really help. Right. And I think preparing um, you know, preparing to find that person uh, puts us in a better position to recognize that person when they come along. Absolutely. And, you know, it's no secret that Jeff and I believe in intentional courtship. It's the title of our book. And we believe that intentional courtship leads to intentional marriage. And uh, there will be similarities for all of us in the effort required to create a healthy relationship and there will also be some differences, just like there's similarities between the way we harvest vegetables, but there's also some differences, some similarities and differences. So here's the differences. Um, the effort to find your person, the very best match for you, it may land in your lap as a gift from God, or it might require years, maybe even decades of intentionally searching combined with a great deal of patience and faith. I think most of us are somewhere in between those extremes. Very true. One thing I am sure of, friends, I trust in the promise, ask and ye shall receive, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. And ask, seek, and knock, uh, there are three different metaphors uh, and they, they have slightly different connotations, but they're all affirmative action in the direction of, of what you want. Right. So intention is a huge part of that. Right. And I think if it's a righteous desire, the Lord has, has promised to help us fulfill that. Now, I can't tell you the timing. You may have a flood or a pest infestation or something in your crop like we talked about before, but... In addition to the law of the harvest, there is that law of multiplication. That one corn seed can become 1,600 corn seeds uh, in a season. And so if you continue, uh, the law of multiplication will eventually have its way. And, uh, and you will eventually have the blessing you, you seek uh, because it's a righteous desire. Yeah, so that would be a, a similarity that we all have in searching for our companion. Uh, so there's three that I want to highlight uh, to end our, our podcast tonight, and that is that every person will require some intentional effort to get ready for a healthy relationship, and that's like preparing the soil in a garden. And that's why we dedicate the first eight chapters of Intentional Courtship to Peace. Um, because we believe that preparing the soil for a good relationship is super important. Right. I mean, one of the things we would do is to remove 
other plant life that would get in the way of what we're trying to plant. That could be, uh, you know, weeds and whatever, and, and that could be uh, old relationships and, and emotional trauma that we have from those. Um, Being able to release what's not good for the garden. Right. We need to turn that soil over and expose fresh, rich soil uh, to the sunlight and rain that will nurture that plant as it grows. And the second similarity that I believe that we'll all have is that every person will be needing, needing to plant some kind of a seed in order for any kind of relationship to grow. And um, that's why the second part of our, of our book is about all about progress in dating. And, uh, you know, even if dating is, is a dirty word for you and you, you don't like that word, hopefully you're still listening <laughs> and that you'll realize that really intentional courtship is about so much more than dating. Um, it, it definitely includes that. Um, but really, even if God plants that person in your lap, if you're that lucky, you know, if you're that blessed, if, if that is, is your path, um, then uh, you still have to plant the seed in that relationship. You have to receive it when it shows up. Right. I mean, you know, I don't know the story that behind um, when Kathy talked about her friend earlier, that the relationship just fell in her lap. I, I don't know the story, but I guarantee you that one or the other of them, even though neither of them were looking for it, one or the other was interested, uh, intrigued by the other person, and ultimately planted a seed by making their desires known to the other person, at least to go out and, and uh, have a meal together or something. And as we've discussed in prior podcasts, that it's a risk risk reward thing um, that every person in a relationship takes a risk to let their feelings be known. And then the other person either meets them where they are or not. Right. And when you hear someone say, Oh, my husband or wife just fell into my lap. The other person probably took the risk to plant that seed. <laughs> well, <laughs> so. and you know, even if it felt that easy, cause that sometimes it can be, I mean, sure. I, the, the spirit certainly can, can guide us in all sorts of ways. Um, but yes, there's always a, some kind of seed planted, just like any garden will not produce fruit or vegetables without that seed. Um, so third similarity is that every healthy relationship will require some effort to cultivate it once that person has been discovered. And, uh, and that's why we, we dedicate the last part of our book to pairing up. Um, the art of pairing up is like harvesting those vegetables that have been sown in good soil and the plant, the seeds have been planted. Right. And you can ask yourself, as we did in Alma earlier, uh, whether that seed that you've planted is a good seed. Is it swelling and spouting and beginning to grow? Uh, is your love growing and your, uh, you know, your goodness together growing? Are you both bringing goodness to this relationship? And if your love grows, then perhaps it's a good seed. Yes. So dating is like gardening, friends. Right. And let's remember, too, that ultimately the gardener is God. 
And if he's cut us down a time or two, or if we've been, he's allowed us to be cut down, he's probably pruning us for a fruitful harvest. And don't give up hope. Don't give up faith. Hold on. Trust on until you see the salvation of the Lord. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Remember, any time and every time is a good time for more love in your life. Subscribe to LilyPod to get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, share with those you love. For more information about our organization and services, visit loveinlateryears.com.